All right, all right. Here we are back again on high-minded seeking righteousness, and we're on uh, really uh, episode three of this segment, or this third part of our delving into the uh, specific aspects of love and love, because. As a seeking righteousness, you have to spend time if you're looking at it from a Christian perspective, which I am. And again, I have pursued. I believe that there is wisdom in Confucius and in some of these other texts along the way. You can Plato and Socrates and Aristotle and these other.、Uh, there is wisdom there, and people understand these wisdoms. And I'm not opposed. I am very much for seeking wisdom in these other insights. But there is nothing. Even the great intellectuals to modern day. Let's take Jordan Peterson, which I think for the most people that know this man, know that he is a great intellectual. He will respect the wisdom that is in these ancient texts of the Torah, the Old Testament, and the New Testament, and the the Bible, and what these things mean and how they affect us, and the importance. But I do want to delve into when we talk about love. It would be、um, fool, foolish to just deal with what we do have as the American or the English definition of love, which is just an intense feeling of deep affection or a deep romantic or sexual attachment to someone or something. Now, this is very、uh, broad for something that we know is much more complex than just this feeling. There's a behavior associated with it. There's more to it. But this feeling can't be ignored, so we understand this intensity of the feeling of deep affection. But there's got to, there's got to be more to it than that, and there is, and there is, in fact, and we need to go back and look at these specifics of it. Now, up to this point, I've broken it down and I've gone into the Greek definitions of love, which are four different perspectives, four different definitions, or four different.、Um, Components of this feeling that we talk about when we're dealing with love—they're talking about、uh, from the Greek perspective. Before we've gotten to this point, we've had storge, which is the family love, the familial love that we have, and again we discussed that in the first part of this series about love. Secondly. We delved into Philia from Philadelphia. You can see the city of brotherly love. This is identified as brotherly love, but in fact, it's that friendship. It's the love associated with friendship, not companionship, which we have with people that maybe we work with and we see occasionally, and we have a few. It's not a love for them. If they were to go or whatever, you wouldn't really feel a loss、uh, or a gain. They're not contributing to your life. In a loving way, so to speak. And now we move on to eros, with this, which this segment or this session, this episode is going to focus on—that intimate love, that love that is、uh, between a husband and wife, or a, a husband, a spouse, a significant other. Again, we live in a world that's very different. And when I speak about a husband and wife, I'm only speaking about the. Traditional sense of the word, but in the world that we are, I know that these, this love, this intimate love, exists between different. And I don't want to get to go down that road, and I don't want to cast judgment or aspersion one way or the other, whether we agree or disagree. But I'm going to use the、um, the traditional、uh, husband and wife relationship here when I discuss this, and you can take from it what you will. 
But now dealing with this before we go into the agape love, which is the love that God feels for us and shows us, uh, which is important to be incorporated into all three of these. Now I've spoken about Storgi, the big obstacle to that is expectation. It's understood like you're supposed to just love me no matter what I do. And that's nonsense. That's nonsense. If you're supposed to love someone, you need to treat them with love. And I'm going to get into that now. Same thing with friendship. Friendship, the big obstacle is expectation. It's these responsibilities and another obstacle is that you find yourself in a group with people that are going down a bad road, that are taking you and they're limiting your individualism and who you are as an individual and you're becoming part of the gang. You become what they want you to be for the sake of that friendship, which often is attempting to usurp that storgi, that familial love, which that familial love is often trying to usurp that I got them the agape love, the godly love, so the holy love. So we have to keep our eyes on the truth of what's going on. These aren't bad that these are happening. They're just happening. And we need to be smart enough to know that like, look, if I go into a certain situation, if I walk into a room where there's live gunfire, I better act like there's live gunfire. Maybe I'm down on the ground. Maybe I'm low. I'm going to behave in such a way that I understand that these things are happening, not because somebody's a bad guy or a good guy, but they're just a, a, a current or an obstacle to reaching perfection in these familial relationships. It's this absence of this agape or this perfect love or this behavioral love that can bring things into that perfection. And that's why at this point, going into the fourth one, but while we address this third one where it is very significant, we understand what this behavior of love is. And It's identified and addressed specifically in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, uh, verses 4 through 8. And I'm going to bring you through that. And I'm sure you've heard this before. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's selfless. It is not easily angered. It's slow to anger. It keeps no record of wrongs. It doesn't hang on to your mistakes. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil. It doesn't want to see anybody hurt. It doesn't like the things that are in opposition to it, but it rejoices with the truth. It, it rejoices with true truthfulness, which we discussed in honesty. It always protects. It always trusts always hopes, which we talked about, and always perseveres. And the testing of our faith produces this perseverance, which helps us in this love. And if we can get all this down, love never fails. Love never fails. Again, I got to bring that. I got to go through this again. Because if you're not doing this, you're outside of the behavior of love. If you're in storgy, if you have familial love and you're treating someone within your family, not this way. If you're behaving outside of this specific, these four verses, then you're not treating them with love. If you're in a friendship and you're behaving outside of these four verses, then you are outside of love and you are not having a perfect friendship. If in your romantic relationships, this eros, which we're going to get into this 
episode, and I think it may go long, but nonetheless, I'm down for it. If you're down for it,、uh, if you're not behaving this way, then you're outside of love, and you're not contributing to this perfect love, which all of these are intended to be. And you'll see the people. Some people get it right, and I'm sure you can identify it by the behavior. You may be getting it right. Your family may be getting it right. Your friends may be getting it right. It's probably because they're patient with you. They're kind with you. They don't envy you. They don't boast. I guess people. I know people that boast. They're proud. They're not proud. It doesn't dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's selfless. It's not easily angered. It's slow to anger. It keeps no record of wrongs. They're not holding you to what you've messed up on, the wrongs that you've done, even to them. It doesn't delight in evil. It doesn't want to take pleasure in some bad behavior, and it rejoices. It rejoices in the truth. The truth. Not my truth, not your truth. The actual truth. It always protects. It's always looking out for you. It always trusts because it knows you, you wouldn't do this to me. I will trust everything that you tell me. It always hopes for the greater good. It always hopes, and we spoke about hope. It always perseveres, and the testing of your faith produces perseverance. But allows us to make it through those obstacles. The belief that there is something. Given all of those precepts, all of those facets, which I'll delve into down the road, love never, ever fails. Given those things, it never fails. So now, if you can incorporate. Those virtues—that patience, kindness, not envying, selfless, not boasting, not proud—you don't dishonor others. You always tell the truth, the real truth. It rejoices in the truth, the actual picture, even if it doesn't paint you in the best light. It keeps no records of wrongs. It's slow to anger. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes, and it always perseveres. You got a recipe for success, my man. My woman, everything, sisters, brothers, do this, and you're in the sweet spot because God is love, and this is love. So if we replace love and this all the time, we say God is patient, God is kind, God doesn't envy, God doesn't boast, God is not proud, God doesn't dishonor others, God's not self-seeking, He's not easily angered, He keeps no record of wrongs. He doesn't delight in evil, but he rejoices in the truth. He always protects. He always trusts. He always hopes. He always perseveres. God never fails. So to incorporate God into any of your relationships, incorporate love, the behavior of love, into those relationships. Storgi, philia, eros, which we're going to get into, and of course agape, is this completely anyway. So. That being said, I want to speak to a few things, and again, as I said, this one may go long, but we're delving into eros, which is this intimate love. It's the love between a husband and wife, a significant other, a spouse,、um, whatever your the dynamic of your significant other is. It's this intimacy, the love that you feel intimately for your significant other. Now, this is not universal. It's not a universal feeling. It's not the same feeling or experience for all people when they fall in love. 
Some people fall in love one way. Some people slowly over time, and there's these differences between what I believe is true love, or love at first sight, or love that's built out of friendships. These loves, this eros love, can come from different places, and I believe that those places, all while all good, have different purpose. But there are some loves. This this true love, this love at first light, sight that I believe has. A different impact, and not everybody in their life experiences these things. Where you see someone, where you get to know someone, and you love that person instantly. And I'm not talking about、uh, this sexual desire, physical attraction, even though that is important.、I'm、talking about that love, where, and we'll get into it. It's very significant. It outweighs, or it usurps, or it transcends loves that you've had in other relationships throughout your life. It may start first with intimate attraction, and then lead to falling in love with this other person. It may be a physical attraction, and look at them, or whatever.、Um, but to me, and again, this is not that. To me, seems like, and I've had it. I've had that. <laughs> Believe me, I've had that. But at this stage in my life, that type of love, where it starts with this physical attraction, or even this、uh, intimate attraction, sexual attraction, seems childish to me. It seems almost.、Um, Immature,、uh, but I could be wrong. Again, that's just my perspective. I'm not committed to it. Maybe certain incredible relationships have started that way. I don't have experience with that. In my experience, that's not the specific thing that we should be looking for. But that's only my experience. From my experience, it seems to develop from a a preoccupation with the person that you would consider your beloved. This. Person in their totality and who they are. You've had conversation. You've communicated. You've had dialogue, and then you meet this person and you see them at once, and all that they are envelops you. All of who they are, all of that you know from the limited interaction that you have, and then this immediate physical attraction where they're almost designed, where there is nothing. Uh, that you don't love about them. There's nothing that is something like that you could correct. It's all at that moment, incredible and perfect. And it may start with that first attraction leap, but I don't, I don't get that. To me, and at that point, this person—and I'm going to speak as a man, <laughs> a heterosexual man here—that in this specific dynamic, and it can be different based on wherever you're at. But she's primarily a woman. She is an incredible entity. She is this being of designation for you, almost, and not an object. It's not about this desire for her in a physical way as much as a preoccupation in your mind. She she consumes your thoughts. You think about her on a daily basis, and you think about her. Who she is, and she takes this thing over. And it, I would profess it to, and, and dealing with again different perspectives, that the lover, when asked, or when I'm asked, when, what it is that I want in these circumstances, rather than it be the sex, it might be that I just want to go on thinking about her. That I just want to think about her is more valuable. That's the desire, is to think about all that she is and to. Process that to receive that in your head and to 
to process that. That creates this this interesting facet that's different than desire. It's this love. And the intimate attraction comes to be down the road,、uh, and it would need to consider that the intimate desire was the root of the love. That wasn't the thing. It was, it was a, a byproduct. It was something that came as a result of. But the the woman who she was, who she is, the person who they are, is what entraps you, enraptures you. And who they are, and quite often this is the problem we end up,、uh, and this is an obstacle in the Tinder generation. Not that I do know plenty of people. As a matter of fact, this is where I've come from. These dating apps, for the most part, are not entirely terrible because they can lead you to these true loves. And I've heard too many stories of true loves and fantastic relationships starting that way, including my own. But this is the generation we live in, so it makes it very difficult to differentiate these things.、Uh, and there are a huge range of issues when you have a dynamic of a relationship that's based on one of either sex without love or love without sex. Either of these are not good.、Uh, this physical attraction or the sexual attraction of these. If you find yourself in these situations, it becomes a problem. And one of the things that we have to address, and I'd like to address early on to get it out of the way, is the sexual aspect because of the word eros and the erotic.、Uh, sexual desire without that love, without that that romantic love, wants the it, and the it is not the woman, even though it's often presented as the woman, or the it's not the man, even though it is presented as the man. It's the pleasure、uh, that comes from that. And more often, we're dealing with men, and I can speak as a man, and I'm going to be transparent with this and put myself under the bus because it's happened.、Uh, a man or woman will say that they want—I'll say that I want a woman, but in fact, that's not really what I want. What I want is the—is the pleasure that comes from spending the time, the night with this woman, and the sexual pleasure associated with it. And the woman is merely an apparatus. It's the same way. Like if somebody said, "I'm a smoker," and I say, "You know, I want a, a pack of cigarettes." I don't really want a pack of cigarettes to put on the shelf. What I want is to smoke a cigarette and have the effect that that cigarette gives me. I want to have the stimulation or the effect that the cigarette gives me. That's my desire. I'm saying I want a pack of cigarettes, but you got to take it away because I throw that pack away. When I'm done smoking the cigarette and getting the effect that I want, the pack itself that I said I wanted was not really what I wanted. What I wanted was the effect that the cigarette gave me, and I discarded it. The same with alcohol. Oh, I want a drink, or I want a beer. Well, you don't really want the beer. You want the effect that the beer gives you, because the beer, the, the bottle of beer, goes in the garbage after the fact. So you have to determine, as a woman or a man. Your value and understand that you don't. We want to make sure that somebody's not going after the cigarette, or they're not going after the effect. What they're going after is the person, and that's this eros love, this intimate love, this personal love. And eros gives it a very sexual thing, which is why I want to address it and knock that out. But it's not really. It's this intimate, true love, and we'll get with that down as we go down the the road. But you don't want to be with someone that perceives you as merely as an apparatus, and you can identify that and determine that by what happens after they smoke the cigarette. Do they, if they wanted the pack, they'd keep the pack, right? It'd be on the shelf after they smoked all the cigarettes in it. But they don't really want the pack. 
what they want is the effect that the cigarette gives them, and they discard the pack. So if you're the pack, you don't want to be the pack. You want somebody that, if they're saying they want a pack of cigarettes, that they want the pack, and they're going to keep that pack, that box, that pack, for eternity. And that's what eros actually wants: this love, this intimate, this love between spouses, this love between significant others. That they want the pack. They actually want what they say they want. They want the woman. They want the man. They want the significant other, not the pleasure that they'll get from that significant other. <clears throat> it makes it so that we, the the person, the object of our affection, uh, is regarded as the thing that we want, not the pleasure.、Uh, the actual love will regard the pleasure that you get from this feeling as a byproduct. It happens. It will happen, but the desire should be for the person, and then the pleasure, the effect, the happiness comes as a result of your desire for this person. And often, you know, if it's not mutual, you have to manage that. But ideally, when you hit these things on the head, when you hit this true love, this、um, this special feeling, this thing that people talk about, it's outside of the carnal component of it. And this eros, this true love that you feel, this love, romantic love or intimate love that you feel you have for someone, needs to be evaluated outside of the carnal component of it. It needs to be identified, saying five minutes after the fact, how, what's the dynamic of our relationship after this person smoked the cigarettes? Are they still hanging onto the pack, or have they discarded? Are they walking out the door? And you need to understand, and at that point, you can understand whether or not it's this true eros love, this this intimate, affectionate, and、uh, true love. That recognition, and I've addressed this before, that recognition of your soul's counterpoint in another. When your soul recognizes its counterpoint in another, that happens. And, oh, it can hurt, and it can cause us to do, but. If you can pursue it, if you can give it, if you can figure out how to not let, because things, circumstances, the world, and if there is evil in the world, then it's evil that wants to prevent that from coming together. There is nothing more that evil would want to prevent than true love, and try to keep throw obstacles in the way and create、um, circumstances that would not allow. Those things to come to pass because true love, and as we'll get down the road, is a powerful, if not the most powerful of all things. Love is the greatest of these. It is an incredible when perfected. When these this agape love, these behaviors of love, are incorporated into eros, are incorporated into friendship, are incorporated into familiar love. These intimate relationships and these friendships and these they become. Super powerful, and you know people that have these incredible relationships that have these things that are these dynamics that are brought to perfection by the inclusion of the true love, the very love, the First Corinthians chapter thirteen verses four through eight that I just said. The inclusion of that behavior brings these loves, these feelings of loves, to perfection, and there is nothing more. That evil would like to prevent than stopping that from coming into fruition, because we know love is the greatest of these. Love is the greatest of these, and historians throughout time and ancient times have identified that. Of course, 
love is the most incredible and powerful of things. So uh, again, the pleasure that comes with uh, being in this true love relationship, this intimate and this perfect or this uh, romantic love relationship, the pleasure is a byproduct, just as the consideration and the res- or the uh, obligation or the sense to help your friend is not an obligation. It's not something that comes. It's a byproduct. It happens as a result of that perfect relationship, of this behavior of love being incorporated into that feeling of love. And now we've got a perfect dynamic. And these good things, it yields good fruit. You can reap good fruit from these things. So again, the intimacy, the intimate relationship uh, with that that eros love, and I'm going to stop using, I'm going to call it intimate love, in itself is not good versus intimacy without. So if we said that, you know, you had a sexual relationship and you were in love with this person, good, from a good, this eros perspective, versus if you had a sexual relationship or intimate relationship with someone and you didn't have this love, one's good and one's bad, false. Not one is good without the other because someone who's deeply in love with someone and truly in love with someone uh, can cause pain, can cause, you know, and these could be someone who's married and it could cause an affair and cause heartache and breaking marriage vows. If you were married and you have these affairs because you feel you love this person to this place or maybe you do and you have this relationship. So innately in the behavior, it's not good in itself. Just because you feel this way, it's not good. You have to look for, again, circumstances and handle things as best as you could. It can ruin marriages. People break promises. And of course, clearly, it can be selfish, which is in opposition to love, that not being self-serving and not being um, selfish. You want to be selfless. So clearly in itself, it doesn't make it good because you love someone and you have an intimate relationship or you don't have an intimate relationship. It doesn't make it good. The, the, the fact of the matter is that you need to be responsible with all of these loves, but Eros has that in the fact that it can be damaging, but it must be a vessel because of that. It's got to be evaluated outside of the carnal component, outside of the sexual component. Um, because falsely, it's been handed the, in, in historically the carnal component gets a bad rap, right? It's uh, it should be they people say, "Oh, reduce it to a minimum." You know, you got to have pure romantic love, and you got to court, and they can, that's not the case. Again, it's certainly not the case, and in the Bible, it's not the case. And you know, people need to go back and read some Paul, read some of the letters of Paul, because he specifically talks about in marriage that you know, take a break. If you guys want to take a break from the intimate relationship, take a break from the intimate relationship to spend some time with God. But clearly, that's not the big thing that's distracting us. C.S. Lewis also, and I agree with him 100%. The big thing that's distracting us from God is not our carnal relationship or our intimate relationship with the marriage bed and what we're doing in that bed. What's distracting us is our day-to-day life. You know what I mean? We got to go to work. We got kids running around. We've got this marriage we got to keep together. That's taking our attention away from God. That's the big thing. And it's not actually, you always want to keep it, but that's the thing more of an issue by far than our intimate relationship in the bed. You know, that's not the thing that's really an issue. And the Bible doesn't imply that, even though, and this is the other thing, these theologians, who most of them from ancient times were celibate, so they have really 
no perspective of this thing. They seem to likely have no indication that the effect that this love had. They would try to say, oh, keep that out of it. It's a problem. And they'd try to make it sacrilegious or sanctified, and they'd give it all this weight. And that's not that's nonsense. Now, C.S. Lewis, in 1958, now we're in 2019 here, in 1958, he stated that it was a preposterous and ludicrous solemnization of sex that's been going on since his life began. They would uh, make it solemn. They would almost have like, you know, you had to go along with some sort of hymn or some, and they would really give it all this stuff. And even back in 1958, this Christian guy, C.S. Lewis said, take it as seriously as it need be, and that it not hurt others or violate your vows. And here's the thing, people will demonize um, or uh, give more holier than, or, um, you know, deitize Uh, sex, and that's the problem. Uh, take it as seriously as it need to be, and not that it hurt others or violate your vows. Love ceases to be a demon. Sex ceases to be a demon only when it ceases to be a god. If this thing is such a negative thing for you, and you give it all this negative weight, you demonize, uh, demonize it, uh, then you know you're making it just as bad as if you made it the, the end all be all. It's neither. Stop making it one, and it'll cease to become the other. It's not one or the other. Uh, it's not all that serious, nor is it not serious at all. In fact, the word playful uh, comes to mind, and again, C.S. Lewis uses this, this playful aspect of it. It should be a pleasure. It should be enjoyed. It should be a treat across the board. And quite often, because of the bodies, the physical bodies, we are our spirits. Our spirits are who we are, not our physical bodies. But our physical bodies are a little bit clumsy. You know, they, they, again, people, some people learn to master them a little bit better than others, but they're clumsy things here. <laughs> It seems I left off, I got interrupted. But again, I only got these little half-hour segments, so it's a playful thing. It's a romantic thing. The body is not—it's—it's it's, you know—it's not our natural form to be quiet. Quite honest, our spiritual form, who we are as a person within these things, is who we actually are. Now, just because I put it down like a champ, don't mean that. <laughs> <laughs> don't mean that everybody else you've got to understand the people that you're with and you've got to enjoy it's got to make you happy it's got to be something that is enjoy and that's something that's unique to eros to this romantic love versus the other loves is that there's an acceptance of the unusual <laughs> there's an acceptance of kind of things that would not normally make sense. For example, Shakespeare, I'm going to go into some worldly stuff. Shakespeare references the lover's pinch, which hurts, but is desired, uh, or a smack on the ass, for lack of a better term. These things by your lover are desired, even though they, they got a little sting to them. And that's a very unusual thing, and it doesn't apply to these other relationships. Um, and it brings out this kind of this difference between these other loves, specifically friendship and heroes, is that you've got kind of this this different dynamic there on these things. And again, there's a different there's differentiators. 
in these relationships that are very significant. And you can see, like, what goes on, what you guys do, as long as you have fun with that stuff, as long as it's a treat, a pleasure, it's something enjoyed between the two of you. But it shouldn't be the the, the focus. There's more to it. There's something innate. There's this recognition of the soul's counterpoint. In another soul, that it's this unique, it's this falling for someone, this falling in love, and I'll get into that a little bit more as we go down the road. But in friendship, we're only ourselves; we are who we are, and that's the comfort of it, and that's the real value, and that's one of the specific things to the friendship is that we are who we are. But in this eros, in this romantic love. We are also representatives of the core of who we are. There's more the the man that I am,、um, the nobility, the all that I am, the aggression maybe, or the assertiveness, or the power, and the affection, and the sub- subservientness, and all of these different aspects of who we are come to fruition beyond just the superficial. This is who I am on a daily basis. The core of us comes out in these relationships that are intimate. In lovers, all of our masculinity and all of our femininity in the woman, all of these things strive to meet. They strive to come together. They we want to be this emphasis. We become this ultimate version, hopefully, of who we are. The man becomes the sky father. C.S. Lewis calls it, and the woman becomes the Earth Mother. He the Sun, and she his Earth. We become these these entities, these representations of who we are intended to be.、Um, but we got to respect the playful aspect of it. The, the, these crowns, this Sky Father, this Earth Mother, this King, and this Queen that meet in these areas of incredible intimacy and respect and love for one another. This Passion, that passion that's indwelt and that's expressed in these areas, this passion for each other—they're intended only for the marriage bed. They're intended for another individual, a singular other individual, and they're not intended to be shared with others. Now, in a Christian marriage, we we end up with. A different aspect here, and this is now. I've spoken about the sexual stuff, and we're on to the second, and, and that's beyond. We've already addressed that, and I think we understand that. Look, the marriage bed is for you guys to do whatever you're going to do. You do your things. It's private. It's your place. If somebody shares that, it's not meant to be shared. But it, it's for you guys, and have at it. Nobody's got any place to know what you're doing, what's going on, what's happening down in that place. You have your fun. Keep it playful. Have a good time. Enjoy each other, and make it good, truly good. Now, putting that aside, and we move on to more of the relationship side of these. In a Christian marriage, or at least as far as the Bible、uh, defines these things, and you need not subscribe to it. You can have your marriage as you as again. Marriages can work if you've got a uniform standard in relationships. If you have a uniform standard. For what you expect of each other and how you're going to to treat each other, but in a Christian marriage specifically, the the Bible references that the husband is the head of the wife. Now, I've got to clarify. I got to be clear on this, and this is natural because we deal with a lot of issues here. 
He's the head of the wife, just in as so far. He's only the head of the wife in as so far as he is to her as Christ was to the church. Now let me explain to you. He's not the head of her in everything in her life and in the family and all this. Just in these very specific ways, he's to love her as Christ loved the church, and Christ gave himself for the church. So he's intended to sacrifice who he is what he is to sacrifice himself for her christ died for the church he never put himself above anyone as a matter of fact christ is the servant king the servant king he washed the feet of those that he was around those that he loved wash the feet he's intended to attend to all of the needs of this person he's not the boss He's the servant king. He's intended to wash the feet, to attend to all of his wife's needs. It's in that relationship, the husband must defer to the needs of his wife first. Meaning that if he's to take this relationship, we're talking about people mistake this submissive thing. The wife's supposed to only, all this is doing really for the most part is you don't got to decide where anytime your husband says, where do you want to eat? And you say, I don't know. He can't give you any crap. He's got to decide. He's got to handle that. <laughs> That's what that means. He's responsible or she's responsible, depending on the dynamic of your relationship. He has to put the other, the spouse, first before himself and wash the feet as a servant of the woman that he loves. And I'm only going to use myself as an example, but the dynamic of your relationship is your relationship. But metaphorically, that's where the, the husband is intended to be. Marriage is more like, for the husband, it's more like a crucifixion of the husband, sacrificing all that he is, all that he was for, what his wife needs from him, what his wife needs for him to be. He's burdened with all the duties and denied all rights. This is, again, this is what the, the true understanding of this. He is burdened with all the responsibility and he's denied any rights whatsoever. This is that relationship. And he's required to forgive the unforgivable. <laughs> wow. Forgive the unforgivable, meaning if you make this commitment to this person, you must forgive the unforgivable. They can do whatever they want and you must forgive. The crown that this king, this head of the household should wear, must wear for his queen, is a crown of thorns. It's not a crown of gold and jewels. It's a crown of the servant king, subservient to his wife, while in fact she defers to him. But she only defers to him and feels good about that because she knows he's washing her feet. He's attending to all of her needs and treating her as the queen that she is and sacrificing all that he is for his wife daily, every day, moment to moment. It's a very, it's not this, it's, it's misinterpreted and mispresented in the world. It's not this submissive thing, you know, count out. No, you don't idolize your husband. That's in contra contradiction. You don't kowtow or bow to your husband before you bow to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's attending to all your needs. He's just the one that's got to make the call. He's the one that's going to get in trouble 
if shit goes south, it's all his fault. That's what that means. And that's the accurate. That's the way it's all his fault. And he takes, bears that burden. He bears that burden responsibly and serves his wife as the queen, as his queen. And the queen that she is, denying burden with all duties and denied all rights, forgiving unforgivable behavior, must forgive everything. This is the role of the husband. Now, unfortunately, it's different. And that crown that that husband wears must be a crown of thorns. Now, in a perfect relationship, that dynamic would, you would expect that the wife would honor that and understand and love her husband in such a way that knowing that he has to take these burdens and he's responsible for these things. But it's only a matter of You know, both people can't make the decision. When there is conflict, one person has to defer to the other. So the wife has to defer to the husband. He has to be the one that has to go up and put the chit in. He's the one that has to go up and say, here's our decision. He's responsible for that. But that decision must come to the great interests of the wife. He must be the servant king and saying to his people, his wife, his queen, and say, what, what do you want? And that should be what's done. He needs to defer And it's a very unique dynamic where it's often misinterpreted because people believe or they, and it's even painted in this way. That's not the case. It's not about submission. It's about you. One person has to make the call. You can't have two people make the call. You're not always going to be in agreement. But the husband, in fact, he's the one that's got to go put in the decision. He's going to say, all right, we're going to uh, Outback Steakhouse tonight. And for the most part, the woman doesn't care. You know, it's that decision. And the guy will say, well, I'm always at, well, you got to make the call. And it's got to be based on what you know this, this, this woman primarily will want. You have to figure that out and you have to make the call on it because she just doesn't want to make the call, maybe. But it specifically makes clear that the, the wife is only to submit to the husband as he submits to her as a faithful servant. That's Christ. He only submits to her. Or she only sub sub submits to him as the, he submits to her as a faithful servant. He's responsible. He's just the guy that's got to go put it in. He's the one that's going to get in trouble. The man, you're going to get smacked if things don't go right. It's going to be your, his fault to take care of his wife, to be a gentleman, to be, the, to be um, noble and to be uh, honorable and to... Uh, be what's the term I'm looking for uh, chivalrous he's the one that puts his coat down on over the puddle so that she walks over he's the one that has to do that she's not the one that puts the coat down for him to walk over he does he's got to make that call he's the servant one it's not about being a boss that's a recipe for disaster you got to dismiss that And this, that's part of this Eros love, this love that's true. And it's a misunderstanding because people often get locked into their own pride or their own desire to be the boss or to have the control or whatever. It's not, it doesn't work that way. That's not what it's about. It's about one person saying, hey, I got to go handle, somebody's got to make the call, right? We can't go both make the call. We're not going to come to it all the time. So somebody's got to decide. So to avoid conflict, Just defer to me, but I promise you that my decision is going to be solely 
and selflessly based on your needs and desires. If you want Outback Steakhouse, it will be Outback Steakhouse. Even though I want Olive Garden, I have to defer. I have to make it about you. It's always going to be about you. Because I'm the one that has to make the call, it has to be about you. Otherwise, it would be terrible. If I was the one that got to make the decision and I always decided whatever I wanted, now we can see that that's broken. That doesn't work. And often it's skewed in that way. That's not how it is. I got to make the decision because you don't want to make the decision about where to eat. But I'll make the decision, but I'm going to make the decision in your best interest, in your favor, before my own, selflessly, which is why these precepts and these concepts of how we treat love, that's how they need to be managed. Selfless, not self-serving. And if we're supposed to do this as a husband, as Christ, then it's all about your queen, 100%. That's all you're doing. Every decision you make is not about you. It's about your queen. And that's the relationship as it's supposed to be. Now, this, this true love, this romantic love, this eros love doesn't aim at pleasure, nor does it aim at happiness. As an archer, we're not shooting at pleasure and we're not shooting at happiness either. Because, you know, you'll be in a relationship where you'll find someone that you, you connect, you have this true love this true intimate love with and no matter what anyone says to you you still feel it and you know people will push it and they'll say and people can prove to you oh well you're going to be unhappy if you're with this person this guy or this girl it's not good for you you're not going to want this you're going to be unhappy it still cannot deter you if it's this true Eros romantic love. You will not be ter- deterred by people telling you that uh, you will be unhappy because true love would rather share unhappiness with their beloved, with the person they love, than to be happy on any other terms, to go be with someone else and be happy. No, this is the person. I can't help it. I'd rather be unhappy with this person than be happy on my own or happy with someone else. This is a very interesting precept. A very unique thing to this romantic and this true intimate love that people will find better that our hearts should break together than be whole apart. Better that we our hearts should break together than be whole apart. This is the this is a crazy thing that that happens. You'd rather be you want to be with the person in spite of the fact of whether or not it's happy or happiness. If the passion inside you says this, if you find that, oh, no matter what I hear about or what somebody tells me or all these things, no matter what the circumstances or what comes against us, I still want to be with this person, then you're dealing with true love. You're dealing with this true, intimate love with this person that no matter what the circumstances, no matter what the world or anybody around me may say, I would rather be with this person just being with them is more important to me. I'm drawn more to it than these other things. And, you know, I'd rather deal with the crap than not have the crap and not have them. That's true love. That's an indication that we're dealing with this is eros, this intimate, this romantic love that's on this other level. True romantic love often speaks with the voice of God. 
true romantic love, true eros love, often has a divine feeling to it, has purpose, and you'll be able to see the circumstances and things that will guide you. You'll be able to have a story associated with it, and you'll see. That the world will fight against it, people will resist it, things will come into play. There'll be this,、uh, and again, depending on your belief, but there'll be this、uh, influence to try to prevent that that union, try to prevent to stop things, but nothing can stop it. The distance is closed, the time is closed, the hurt is closed, everything, the unhappiness, everything seems to resolve itself, but somehow the world keeps putting. Obstacles in place, either self-imposed or whatever, to prevent you from achieving this most incredible of loves, this miraculous, this powerful, this、uh, inevitable love. These things that happen, no matter what's thrown in your way, it still keeps getting closer. It still is being drawn. It's strengthened in spite of re- no reason for it to be strengthened at all. It continues to be strengthened, and that's how you know you're down this road to this true eros, this true intimate, personal love, this、uh, true love. And now, importantly, you've got to have the very love in it, the behavior of love. Which, if the two agree, if you find true love, and you both already identified that you want the very love, the behavior of love included in this. The kindness, patience, understanding, selflessness, slow to anger, not keeping any records of wrongs, not boasting, not being envious.、Uh, you are. You have the recipe for the magical love, for that incredible love that that most people don't have in their life, and it's very rare in the world that we live in today. Now, this eros love, this romantic love, will often imply eternal devotion, but it's clearly not. Because it is dependent on the convictions of the parties involved, there will be people that re- regret decisions or regret. They'll fail. They'll have this perfect love and they'll fail. And they'll say, "Oh, this was the love of my life," or "This person was the love of my life," and they'll have failed in that endeavor. Excuse me.、And、they'll have failed because they or failed because they don't have the convictions. They don't have the behavior. They haven't committed. They haven't、uh, addressed. They haven't come together with all that they are and ascertained or determined that they're going to incorporate the behavior in, of love into their relationship and that agape love, which comes、uh, as things progress down the road, and that you focus on this behavior and treating each other with love. Love often will make these oaths without being asked. Love's going to say this eros love, this true love is going to say without even being asked, I will ever be true. And the other thing is, I'll never be as bad as I was. Now I've been victim of these things. I understand that these are the inclinations, but the thing that separates that from the amorist, which is the amorist, is this guy who's just always in love constantly and with everyone, and it's this incredible love. The set thing that differentiates the amorist is the amorist is like a faddist. It's whatever the fad is, the current trend, whatever the flavor of the week is, so to speak. But what differentiates that when an amorist moves on, or when an amorist, you know, am- amour from the French word for love,、uh, an amorist will 
the things that uh, differentiate is that he's making these relations with no commitments. He's not committing to the person. He's not taking care of them. He's not. All he's doing is involved in these things, and he's not committing to the work of love. And an example to the for that is he's the diver that dives into the pool, and he he's got a fantastic dive, and he jumps right into the pool. But once he's in the water, he wants to get out and try diving in another pool. Uh, whereas the person who's beyond that, when you fall in love, the the Correlation here is falling in love. That diving into the pool is like falling in love. Now, once you're in the pool, being in love is swimming. The swimming, continuing in that pool and swimming, the perseverance—that's the thing that separates the amorous. Is that you're you want to commit to it, that you're all in, and that that's your pool. And the amorous often mistakes falling in love with being in love. Falling in love happens to us, but being in love is something we do. It's something we continue, and it continues beyond our circumstance. Meaning, you fall in love, and then your circumstances change. You move away. You go. You meet this one. You meet that one. But you continue being in love. You're still in that same pool, and often it's whether you want it or not. That's the most powerful thing. And I've been in those. I've felt that thing where I've I've fallen into the pool, and I've swam around, and I've been swimming in that pool. And no matter what comes along, whether it's another pool <laughs> or、uh, another circumstance, I'm still swimming in that pool, and I can't seem to get out of it. And when you find that, when you find yourself swimming in that pool, and you can't seem to get out of it, then that's when you're in that true love. And hopefully, you don't want to get out of it,、um, and you're in that true love place. And it's something beyond our circumstances, and we're willing to put the work in. We're committed to it. This eros, this true love, in its very implication that it should be everlasting, is not wholly a deception. Because quite often we believe, and and it does happen, where eros, this intimate love, will imply that it's everlasting, that no matter what the circumstances, they would still continue to love you. Now, some people you can see that that they will. Circumstances will happen, and you'll be put through significant tests and years of time and distance and horrible or great circumstances or crazy circumstances, and at the end of it. It is everlasting. It endures. It endures throughout. It continues to be on your heart. The person continues to be there, and it occurs to you on a daily basis. And that's a very unique thing. And see what it signifies in its possible development is this real, otherworldly, and spiritual value. Of the change that falling in love works upon us, I mean, there's this this falling in love ultimately makes us a very selfless person. We're very focused on this other person, and as a matter of fact, we almost can't help but be. The being in love is what carries us down that road. In a moment, in a moment's instance, with this love at first sight that people talk about, and I do believe very much in that. In a moment, that tosses personal happiness aside as a triviality. Everything can fall apart, and it doesn't matter. Your personal happiness is insignificant 
to the happiness of this other person, and it works upon us. That vow, that change, that falling in love works upon us, and that leads us into being in love, and to carrying that with us, and it plants the interests of another person. At the center of our own being, of who we are, and no matter who we are, where we're at, whatever the case may be, we find ourselves in this powerful、uh, feeling. The same black line that was drawn on me was drawn on you. That can happen in friendships, and it can also happen in this eros, this intimate relationships, these romantic relationships,、um, and it's very significant. And what can happen is that in a single bound, like you could leap buildings in a single bound, Superman, like Superman,、uh, you can overleap this wall of your own selfishness, and that's key to love. It's one of the more difficult things. It's because we're very innately, as human beings, and rightly so, for our own survival on a biological standpoint. Are very selfish. We need to have enough food for ourselves. We need to have enough water for ourselves. We need to have enough shelter for ourselves. This is a survival instinct that biologically, chemically, is in us over time. But in this single leap of falling in love with someone in that most significant way, we overcome. We leap over our own selfishness, selfishness, and it leads us to again. One of the most powerful aspects of the law, because we have the Old Testament, which people think the Ten Commandments. But if you really want to get down to it, the Torah addresses 260 some odd laws. The Old Testament, in fact, the laws that we're dealing with, aside from Moses's Ten Commandments that he brought down, if we're to fulfill the law, we've got 260 different priest laws that we're supposed to be managing. From the Old Testament, so the law is dead. When Christ came, he said specifically, "The law is dead," and he gave us two. He said, "To fulfill the law, the two commandments that I want you to follow from this point forward are love God above all others, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love others as you love yourself." In this single bound of true love, in this single instance where you fall. For this other person, this love at first sight, or this falling in love with someone, we find ourselves truly fulfilling the law, loving another as we love ourselves. It's that golden rule. It's that magical thing.、Um, but having done this, even though we've done that, it'll do no more. We've felt that feeling. We've achieved it. But there must be action. There must be deeds in our behavior and how we treat them. To now behave, to treat them in that way, even though we feel internally that we've already put them ourselves and innately with this true love, we put their happiness, we put themselves above us. Now we've stopped. We're on the other side of this wall. We've jumped over it. Now we need our actions and our deeds and that agape love to fill in the gaps. Where this romantic, intimate love has、uh, has stopped. I mean, that feeling of love is fantastic. I mean, it is magical. It is powerful, powerful. But once we're over, it requires our action. So, on that note, now we're going into the next segment. Halfway, I'm gonna hopefully finish this up. But here we are going. I've got my half hour in. 
I appreciate you listening up to this point. You're going to hear a little music and then a little bit more music, and then I'll be back to hopefully finish up this segment on this eros love, this intimate love, this romantic love between husband, wife, significant other, spouse, a partner, whatever it may be that you feel these feelings for. And maybe get a better understanding, but I'll see you on the other side of this little musical break here. All right, now we're back onto this next section here, and we can talk a little bit about what happens without the actions or the behaviors of deeds. Some of the risks associated with this powerful one-on-one. Romantic love. There's corruptions that can arise, and these corruptions, and they can often arise when they're left left unattended, without the behavior, without the very love, the behavior of love, and it can lead to a hatred, a jealousy, and an exacting love, a requirement, and a resentful love, which I've seen happen. These things happen when you don't have the behavior of love, and. I addressed a little bit earlier when we were talking about commitments. These asymmetrical commitments, which can cause problems, where one person is behaving in such a certain way, or it's more committed than the other person, but、um, it can turn to a feeling of possessing without being possessed, meaning that you feel that you you own this person, and in fact, you don't feel that they you're possessed, that this person owns you, and this ownership is often associated with a negativity, but in fact. Um, some of the great love songs can say it in a much better way, you know. Like we take John Legend's "All of Me," you know, that's a fantastic song, beautiful song.、Uh, you know, give me all of you, and I'll give you all of me. Own me, own all that I am, and I'll own all that you are. Claim me, someone said. Claim me, and I'll claim you. And I think that's a powerful, beautiful thing to say. Uh, you know, someone should claim. Now the problem is, it becomes very difficult when you try to claim someone, and they they don't either. They don't allow you to claim them, and you know you end up with these really. It puts you off. It's difficult when you make step take steps towards someone, and they don't take those steps towards you. You have to determine: is it because they're afraid? Is it because they're dealing with issues? You don't know what the issue is, or maybe they just don't want it. And unfortunately, you have to presume that it's because they don't want it. You have to go to that route because you don't want to be, you don't want to be going after something that's not,、um, that's not yours. You don't want to be going after something that's not intended for you. And even though you feel this way, maybe they don't feel the same way for you.、Um, Maybe I'm looking for something I just can't have. Maybe I'm looking for something I can't have. That "Say Something" song, Justin Timberlake and the the, the other country artist. It was a a fantastic song. But you know, sometimes you, you you're looking for something you just can't have. And you know, when things get south, you know that old expression that I could eat you takes a really、uh, different perspective. When in fact they, they could eat you. They eat all that you are, and they eat all that you have, and they destroy and take and consume everything that you had in order for this, because of this resentment that builds over time. And but these dangers, these concerns, these obstacles that arise 
to this true, powerful, perfect love can be averted by that agape love when you incorporate these behaviors, the very love, the behavior of love. When you incorporate those into the relationship, they can, in fact, avert these risks. Uh, and in the romantic love, just like all loves, in, the, in themselves, they cannot withstand our own nature, our own desires, our own uh, problematic um, uh, issues that we delve into, these problems where we, we end up going down the road where we our, our fears, our anger, our hurt, our anxieties overwhelm us. And that's why, again, when you incorporate this behavior of love, this treatment of one another, um, the agape love, we can overcome. And these loves can overcome what they are and become what they are intended to be. But unfortunately, a lot of these things are needed to be uh, mutual. Both parties need to be on the same page with what the behavior of love is in order to bring this love to what it's intended to be, this kindness, this patience, this understanding, selflessness, so to anger. And I'm going to read the verse one more time before uh, I end this specific episode, because again, we're already over an hour, and I know that people's attention can only last so long. But the problem is with these loves, with Storgi and with Philia and with Eros, is that uh, we trust them to stand on their own. And the more we trust them to stand on their own, the more deceived we're going to be. The more we're going to be expectant that without this behavior, without this work that we have to do, without these deeds, without actually acting in love, that on their own they will stand. And they are incredible things. You can see the value and how they're so powerful and how of all of these things, faith, hope, and love, and whether you want to break it down into commitment and into understanding and consideration, and you want to break into um, relationships, respect, and all of these other virtues that we go into without this behavior of love, can obliterate these powerful things that are intended, these things that are innate in us that are intended to be, to lead to incredible things. We do see them lead to incredible things when they can reach their perfection, when they can reach their intended purpose. But without that ingredient, without that component of that perfect love, and again, I go back to my mama, who said that these relationships without God in them uh, become, they don't work. You know, it's just one person and they may, they, but they may not be perfect. They'll be these half-assed, but you'll find these relationships. And when I say God, let's understand that God is love. This is a biblical precept, so I know that to be true. And in the world, these are things outside of Christianity, whether you're a Christian or not, doesn't matter. God is love. And love is very specific things. And it's like garden. Any of these relationships are like a garden. You can throw the seeds down and you can have this perfect setup. Uh, but unless it's attended to, unless it's watered and it's fertilized and it's maintained, uh, these gifts that were given, these gifts of storgi, of this familiar, 
familial love of this family that we're given, unless it's attended to by both parties, by the parties involved, these brotherly love or sisterly love, these uh, this filia love uh, that there is this friendship um, with, unless it's attended to, uh, they can fall apart. Those given these gifts to these people that are given these gifts, not everybody gets these moments and they don't occur all the time in our lives. They show up in specific times. We're given this storge for the most part. And friendship is something that we're allowed to pursue. It's a choice. But this eros, what makes it separate, this type of love, this love at first light, this true love that arises is something that need to be given attention. It needs to be given in all of these great loves, these powerful loves that can contribute to huge success and huge support and huge happiness and significance across the board. They all require this additional component, this agape love, this perfect love, this very love, which we get from the agape love. And I'm going to close this thing out as we've already gone well over an hour. But in this last 10 minutes here, I'm going to bring you back to what we're going to go into on the next level, which is this love that God has for us, this agape love. And it's the love, it's the component that we can add into these other loves that will bring them to their true perfection. And some people have them and some people don't. Some people are born into a storge love, a fam familial love, a family love, that already that the parents are already teaching to incorporate this very love, this perfect love into it, this behavior of love. And I know that I have, as I said, my mama, she had that and her kids, and they've got a very uh, strong sense of this aspect of the behavior of love. And it's something that's powerful a precept and it's something that need be incorporated into these other aspects of the loves that we experience in our life to strengthen them and to bring them to fruition where they bear fruit of happiness and these incredible feelings these things that you read about in books these uh, powerful powerful loves that exist but they don't stand on their own in themselves, they have a basis, they have a component, they exist as they are, they come to us. But without this agape love, without the behavior of love, they fall short into a very human area where they can fail, they're fallible, they don't meet the, they don't meet the standard, they don't meet what we know them to be. And with that, I'm going to leave you with First, first Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 8 which is summarizes for those that don't understand the components. If you have a storge love, and I know everybody does this family love. If you have these friendships, this filial love, this brotherly and sisterly love for your, uh, com this camaraderie for your friends, uh, and this eros, this love for your spouse, for your significant other, who they may be. Uh, this component here brings those relationships, those loves into yielding incredible fruit, into fruition of what they're intended to be. And that's a mutual, when both parties agree to this uniform truth 
of adding. You don't have to agree on what the 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 love feeling is. I mean, we've already talked about it being an intense feeling of deep affection. That's very generic and that's very bland. Grab onto that, no matter what the relationship be, because if you add that to this verse, then you'll you'll find that these relationships will have powerful, resonating.、Uh, Exponential effects on your life, and here we go. It's if you can incorporate these components into it. Love is patient. Patience. Be patient with each other. Love is kind. Be kind to each other. If you find yourself being impatient or unkind with someone in a storge relationship, in a familiar relationship, or impatient and unkind with someone in a friendship, or impatient or unkind with someone in a romantic relationship, then you are being counterproductive and sometimes destructive. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. One of my issues with one of my familiar relationships is that this person gets continuously boastful, continuously boastful, continuously proud where they should not be, and it's done damage to the relationship. So, you've got to remove that. You do not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. Don't delve into dishonoring others. Others. It's not even talking about each other. It's talking about others. Don't. Bring that into your relationship where you dishonor other people. It's not self-seeking. It is selfless. It's not about you. It's about the other person or the other people in the relationship. If we're talking about storge, about that familial relationship, it's not easily angered. And this is something where I've had shortcomings and failures, but I've learned I'm not easily angered. I am slow to anger. And things that are in opposition to righteousness, things that are destructive, will bring me to anger, and that's appropriate. You will find anger in these things, and anger is appropriate when things are destructive or when things are outside of love. They should get you angry, but be slow to anger. Don't be easily angered. But if somebody's messing with your significant other, and this is one thing that I admire. And specifically, this woman that、uh, my woman is that she is she will be angered when someone offends or takes. She's the type, and if we think about, it, if you've seen the、um, the movie,、um, I can't remember Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper.、Uh, anyway, there's a scene where you know somebody's messing with him for the most part. Giving him the business or, or messing with him, and he's slow to anger, but she's got his back. She's ready to punch someone in the face. If she does, <laughs> don't leave that to your other person,、uh, not to you. And again, be not easily angered, but when you're dealing, when you're protective, because it keeps no records of wrong. And we'll get to that.、It、keeps no records of wrong. So if somebody's wronged you that you love, take that out. Take that out of the relationship. Don't hold that against them, or else you're not contributing to the love that you have, whether it be familial or friendship or romantic, intimate. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It doesn't delight in these negative things. It's disappointed. It's sad for someone. 
uh, whether it be your significant other or your family, it disappoints them. It makes them sad. It makes you sad when someone is acting in an evil way or is even represented in an evil way. And it rejoices in the truth. It seeks that truth, not your truth, not my truth, the truth, the actual truth. It always protects. And what I mean by that, it defends. It, it holds sacred in confidence uh, someone else. It always trusts. It trusts that the information, the things that you share with each other, will be held in confidence. That you will not.、Um, Break that confidence, and it always protects us. I said that Lady Gaga thing. She protects him. It's not about the man always protected. The woman can protect the man and go to bat and fight. And these things are powerful, and it always hopes. And oh, hope is that great encourager to faith, because when our faith is tested, we learn perseverance, and love always perseveres. If you can stick, if you can add these components, these ingredients to this recipe that started this cake that started with Storgi and Philia and Eros, with familial love, with friendship love, and with romantic love, if you can incorporate these behaviors, you've completed the perfect cake. The recipe is complete, and love never fails. Now you've got the perfect recipe. And I thank you for coming along on this little journey. I know I spent a little bit more time on this specific one, but as I said, love is the greatest of these, and it does require more attention than the others. And in this next final segment, I'm going to speak a little bit more about that specific verse and this agape love, this perfect love that comes from from God, from whether you call it the creation, the universe, whatever you want to go down that road. If we're seeking righteousness, we're going down this road together, and ultimately, I do hope that it brings you to the cross and to Jesus Christ. But nonetheless, if it makes you a better person or it brings you down to this area of righteousness where you want to go, that's ideal. So again, I thank you for coming along, and I hope that you join me on this next episode that involves agape love, God's love for us, and how we can use that agape love. Bring Stur- Storgi this familial love, and Philia this friendship, this love of friendship, and Eros this romantic love, into its perfection by adding this component to fill in all the gaps that these imperfect loves on their own、uh, often have. Thanks again. I appreciate you, and I appreciate you listening in. Folks, John here. Just wanted to take a minute at the end of each episode to thank you for listening, and to ask that if you find it in your heart, I would appreciate it greatly if you could send me a question or a comment. There's a link in the description of the show and of the podcast at the bottom there、uh, that'll lead you to some place where you can record、uh, a message for me or send a message over to me, and I won't use any of the. 
uh, personal information, your name or anything else. I don't even know that you need to put that, but won't use any of that on the show, but I'd love to have some content to talk about. And uh, it would mean a lot to me. So I am reaching out and asking that if you can find it in your heart to do that, it would help me significant, significantly. Thanks again for watching or for listening. I appreciate you and hopefully uh, I'll see you sometime in the future.